Welcome to the Bay Area Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. We hope you will be changed by this message and invite you to visit us in the greater Annapolis area. If you would like to learn more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at bayareacc.org. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Greg St. Cyr. It's a joy to be with you. My wife and I and three others from our church family have been in India for the last several days. We got back last weekend. Before I tell you about that, shout out to our campuses in Odenton and Easton and the folks in the chapel. Great to be here. If you're watching online, glad you've tuned in with us. Now, let me tell you about India, can I? Because uh, India is absolutely incredible. I don't know if you're aware or not, but there are over 6,500 what are known as unreached people groups around the world. These are tribes, these are people groups that do not have a church. And in India, there is some 2,600 of them. So a third of them are found in India. In 2004, our church family helped start an incredible ministry. That ministry is called the International Cultural Bible Ministries. I wish I had time to tell you all about it, but since 2004, we've been walking with ICBM. And because of that ministry, God is doing amazing things. 37 tribes that previously did not have churches now have churches. That's remarkable. Yeah. So... We flew into India and we headed south to the state called Kerala and we took a jeep all the way up to this mountain uh, deep inside the forest and we visited this person. He's one of our ICBM pastors. Uh, his name is Rajan and that's his little church there. It's a brick, uh, mud brick around it with a tin roof and uh, inside that church, next picture if you would, we squeezed, they squeezed some 25, 30 people, just packed them in there. Let me tell you about Rajan's story. So he was a Hindu. And one day someone shares the gospel of Jesus with him. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it, right? Um, And so he rejects it, but the person gives him a Bible. Now the following day, Rajan is a beekeeper and his bees decide they're going to attack him. And he gets stung. If you get stung by 29 of these bees, uh, you, you are going to die. And so he gets stung by all these bees. And so they're rushing them to the hospital. But before he goes, he decides he wants to take some of his own tea. Because in this region, there's all these tea plantations, and so everybody is tea connoisseurs. And so he takes the Bible, rips a page out of the Bible, puts some of his own tea in that page of the Bible, puts it in his pocket, and they rush him off to the hospital. So he's there in the hospital, and that night he has a dream. And basically the dream says, read that piece of paper right? Well, he's already drank the tea and he's discarded the paper. So he gets up, he's skirmishing around trying to find this piece of paper. He reads it and lo and behold, it's from Revelation chapter 20. He is absolutely clueless as to what Revelation chapter 20 is talking about. So he gets out of the hospital. He goes to a Hindu priest. The Hindu priest scolds him. He says, why are you even reading that stuff? That's not your religion. So then he goes to another uh, denominational leader of the Christian faith. 
And this person looks at him and says, this is not your book. You shouldn't be reading this. This is supposed to be someone on our team, right? So then he goes back to the person that shared the gospel with him. And he said, I want you to come to my house and explain this to me. And as the person begins to come, he thinks, Rajan thinks, if he can't explain it to me in a way that makes sense, I'm going to beat this guy up. That's what he tells him, right? <laughs> so this person comes, explains Revelation chapter 20, uses it to tell him about Jesus. And right there, it's like Paul on the Damascus road, right? The scales fall off his eyes. He trusts in Jesus. And today, thanks to the ministry of ICBM, there's Rajon. He's a pastor who's reaching all these different four other tribal regions. He's up way up in the mountains, going from one village to, to the other, gospeling, sharing the gospel. And we as a church have the privilege of standing with Rajon and 70 other pastors that are taking the gospel to these unreached regions. Okay, I've used too much time on that, but I do have to say this. We went over there in order to install Joseph Sharon as the new director of ICBM. And there's a picture of Joseph in the middle there. They give lays out, you know, as, a, as a, uh, just a sign of honor. And so everybody's honoring uh, Joseph as the new ICBM director. This next picture shows that as well. There's Joseph. Joseph was part of our residency program for two years. And so thanks to our ministry here, uh, the Lord has used us to help equip Joseph to now lead this ministry uh, in India and then this next picture shows his father uh, Samuel and his wife Grace who were the founders of the ministry being honored and here's a final picture of just some of the pastors and their spouses that are taking the gospel throughout the tribal peoples of India it's absolutely incredible we are a church that's about making passionate maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. And you do know that God loves all peoples, right? He does not have a special affection for the United States over and against the beloved souls of India. He loves everyone. This is what we're about. Okay. Uh, I hope I didn't use too much time. How are we doing? We're diving in here. Let me pray. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ changed everything. And I pray now that he would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the more painful times in my life, I was a freshman in college and I was looking for identity. I was looking for a place of belonging. And so I decided that I would pledge a fraternity. And so I pledged this fraternity, Kappa Sig. I was quite happy with that decision. But unfortunately, I had one foot in the world, one foot with Jesus. And Jesus decided that he needed to, to get me out of the world. And so three months into my, um, I was a plebe. Uh, with Kappa Sig, something happened to me that had never happened anything like this before. I was blackballed. A couple guys said, we don't like that Greg St. Cyr. He's out of here. And, and I was devastated. And I went from being an insider to an outsider, right? I was raised in the deep south and lots of racial discrimination. And I saw firsthand the pain um, the heartache of inside-outside relationships based on the color of skin, right? 
Uh, maybe you've done something and because of what you've done, you feel lots of regret, but you're experiencing consequences of that. And so you were a part of something and now you're not a part of it because of your actions. Our society is one that has insiders and outsiders. And though we have a need for belonging, it's our tendency to exclude others, is it not? Enter Jesus, the one who changes everything. And Jesus says, no matter your past, no matter your background, no matter your mistakes, you belong here. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying, that everyone is welcome, everyone belongs with Jesus. And Jesus, what we're going to see this morning is how Jesus Christ is radically inclusive. He says, I don't care what your background is, I don't care about the mistakes that you've made, all are welcome here. And that takes us to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, the story of Jesus calling Matthew to follow. I want to read it to you. You can read along if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as, Jesus, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call righteous the righteous, but sinners. Now, this is absolutely a breathtaking passage of Scripture. In order to understand it, we need to understand who are the tax collectors and who are the Pharisees. So let me talk to you about tax collectors. Basically, tax collectors, they were known as traitors and extortioners. You see, tax collectors, they were Jews by nationality, but they had sold their soul to the Romans. And now they are extorting finances, money from their own people in order to pay Rome what Rome is due. The thing about them, though, is they could take as much tax as they wanted to, and they even made up taxes along the way. They could do all this and pocket a lot of money. The only thing that they had to be careful of was not to tax the people so much that they would revolt. But outside of that, everything was good. Now, in the minds of the Jews, the tax collectors were the mafia. They uh, were the Al Capones of the day, right? Here's a picture of 1923, Al Capone, Elliot Ness bringing him in. This was the mindset that the Jews had towards tax collectors. And the Jews hated, let me underscore, they hated paying taxes. Well, you say, what's nothing new about that, Greg? Who likes paying taxes, right? No, no, not like them. Because with every 
tax that they paid to Rome, it reminded them that they're, they're not a free people, that the Messiah has not come, that they're still being oppressed by the Romans. And so even the root word for tax collector, the root word is oppressor. So the tax collectors were oppressive and they were viewed as being unclean. They were barred from the synagogues. They were disqualified as witnesses. They were lumped together with harlots and robbers and murderers. And they were even viewed as worse. As a matter of fact, the rabbis taught that it is almost, almost impossible for a tax collector to repent. Okay, so this is the mindset about tax collectors. Now, Pharisees. Who are these Pharisees? Well, they're a religious sect of Judaism, and the Pharisees, they were the keeper of the law. They upheld the Old Testament law and the tradition. Now, this is the way the Pharisees thought. Follow their thinking with me. They reasoned like this. God is a holy God, and he calls his people to be a holy people. Therefore, we don't want to do anything that is going to make us unholy. We don't want to commit any immoral sin, and we don't want to have contact with anything that might render us unclean. So in order to protect us from this, we're going to build a fence. We're going to build a fence of extra rules that are going to keep us from becoming unholy. And so they become very legalistic. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees come up with 613 additional rules, 248 dues. Now, this is not what the Bible says. This is an addition. 248 dues. You have... 248 bones in your body. At least that's what they thought back then. So we'll have 248 thou shalt do, and then 365 do nots, one for every day of the year. So they have these 613 additional rules. Okay, so now you're ready. This is the background. Jesus steps in, and he changes everything. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Who is this man? Matthew. Well, Mark and Luke also record this story, and they refer to Matthew by the name Levi. Now, this is important. Levi, that would mean that he would be from the tribe of Levi, which would mean he would be a Levite. The Levites were priests that would serve in the tabernacle and the temple. Therefore, we can assume that Levi, he understood the Jewish system. He understood the Mosaic law, right? And here's the thing. He's fed up with it. He has sold his soul. He doesn't want to have anything to do with his nation or his religion or his family. Matthew is after one thing, money, power. And so now Jesus comes on the scene. Now, 
Let's talk about Capernaum. Here's a map and to show you where Capernaum is. It's along the Sea of Galilee there, and you can identify Capernaum there. Um, and so here is Matthew. He's at his tax booth. He's standing outside of it, and this tax booth would have been on the outside of Capernaum, right, probably right against the Sea of Galilee, where the main road would come through. And there is Matthew. Now, here's one thing you should know. Matthew was quite familiar with Peter and Andrew, James and John. These are four men who have already been called to follow Jesus. They're disciples of Jesus. But how, why would Matthew know these four? The reason is Peter, Andrew, James, and John, what's their occupation? They're fishermen. And every time they bring in a load of fish, guess who's there waiting for them? There's Matthew saying, I want my cut of that right? So they've had lots of conversation, lots of debate, right? Lots of extortion they felt. So Matthew knows these guys. Not only that, you can be absolutely sure that Matthew knows Jesus. Why? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He's raised in Nazareth. Where was his public ministry? His public ministry was from Capernaum. He is ministering around the Sea of Galilee. And by this time, the ministry of Jesus, it is in full gear. He's already taught the Sermon on the Mount. So he's been teaching with authority. And the crowds are coming from all the surrounding regions. And so they're pouring into Capernaum. And guess who's fired up about this? Matthew. There's more people coming through, more people to tax, more money for me. And so Matthew here, he's very familiar with Jesus. He knows exactly what's happening. He has undoubtedly heard the teaching of Jesus. And now Jesus, nobody is like Jesus, looks deeply with penetrating eyes into the soul of Matthew and says two words. Follow me. That's scandalous. That is absolutely shocking. No legitimate rabbi would have anything to do with an unclean tax collector. Except for Jesus. Because Jesus says everyone welcome. Jesus says, you belong here. And how does Matthew respond? It says that he rose and followed him. And Luke adds, he left everything. Now let that sink in. If you're a fisherman and you follow Jesus and it goes bust, no problem. You go back fishing. If you're a tax collector and you leave your tax booth, you're done. And in a moment, everything that was valuable to Matthew, money and power and authority, he gives it all up. And instead, he follows after Jesus. This is absolutely incredible that Jesus invades his life, transforms everything, and Matthew who had been a traitor and extortioner, now becomes a follower of Jesus. Matthew becomes the one who actually writes the gospel of Matthew, the very book that we're reading now. 
from the pen of a former tax collector. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're Peter. You're Peter. You're James. You're John. You're Andrew, right? This is the dude who you've had argument after argument. I mean, there's no love loss between you and Matthew. And you are not believing what you're seeing. You mean Jesus. No, this cannot be. Don't you realize this guy's an extortioner? Do you realize how unfit he is to be a part of this group? I mean, this guy is absolutely unclean. And if we bring him on board, you can forget about this ministry. This ministry is O-V-E-R. It is over if you bring Matthew on board. Now, that's how Peter would have felt. But there's no one like Jesus. Peter would have felt, this guy is Anakin Skywalker who has gone over to the dark side. You know, what makes it hard is the feelings of betrayal. And whenever you've been betrayed, it is hard to forgive. It's hard to say, come and be a part. Like, consider this guy right here. I loved this guy in 2003. He was absolutely amazing. Took our Tigers to the national championship. And then he became this guy. And when he became that guy, oh, my heavens. It's like... I could barely deal with it. I mean, they beat us eight out of 11 times, and it's like, he's a traitor, right? Okay, take that down. So that's it, take that down. Um, so multiply that feeling by 10,000. This is how the Jews felt. And yet Jesus says, doesn't matter. I am the God of the second chance and the third chance. This is a brand new family here. Everyone is welcome. You belong here. So Matthew follows. And what does Matthew do in following? You know what Matthew does? He's about to leave with Jesus. And so before he leaves with Jesus, he throws a big party. It's a big farewell party. Why does he do this? He does this because he wants to tell all of his friends about how amazing Jesus is. Verse 10 says this, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, this is the house of Matthew, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Who are the illustrious guests that uh, Matthew has invited to meet with this honorable rabbi. Well, the Bible refers to them as sinners and tax collectors. These, dear ones, are the social outcasts of the day. Now, we've already talked about tax collectors. Who are the sinners? Sinners are people who, were, uh, who had committed sins of immorality, idolatry, or, or they were unclean. They were, you were considered a sinner if you had an occupation that rendered you unclean. Uh, for example, if you were a shepherd, you would be viewed as unclean. If you were a doctor, because doctors come in contact with body fluids, you would be rendered unclean. If you were a butcher or a tanner or a donkey and camel driver, if you were a tax collector and many, many other occupations, you would be rendered unclean in the eyes of the Jews. And so here is Matthew. 
He gathers all of the social rejects of the day into his house, the sinners, the prostitutes, the Sabbath violators. He throws this great banquet. And I want you to picture, they're on the main floor and there's a table, it sits about 18 inches high and everybody is reclining. That means they're lying on their left side, their feet are out and uh, there's a big celebration. There's food, there's wine, there's lots of laughing, there's lots of joy. And there is Matthew. He's talking about the amazing transformation of his life and how Jesus has changed everything. And then he says, Jesus, tell him that story again. You know, the one about the kingdom of God or something like that. And then Jesus there is just ministering. And there's laughter and there's joy. And Matthew is about to leave. And everything changes. You know, in Odenton, when we started our campus, so many of the core team threw Matthew parties. They threw block parties, right? Inviting their friends uh, to come and to, to celebrate. I think of Brian and Amy Patrick. Here's a picture of them. They uh, gathered their whole neighborhood. They invited their whole neighborhood and, uh, to cornhole and conversation and food. And Brian has the gift of smoking up brisket. And so he strategically placed the smoker out near the front yard so the, the, the aroma would just waft through the neighborhood, right? And all the neighbors come. And he stands up and introduces his whole family and prays over the meal and lets people know about a new church that is starting, Bay Area Odenton. And I hear these stories and I say, Jesus changes everything. And he changed Matthew, he's changing people in Odenton and in India. Well, how do the Pharisees respond to all this? What kind of enthusiasm and joy do they bring to this? Well, it's found in verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, to the disciples of Jesus, why, why does your teacher eat? with tax collectors and sinners, this is really not so much a question, it's more a condemnation. This is shocking to them. Now, the Pharisees, there is no way that they would have set foot in Matthew's house, absolutely not. I mean, that would be, that would be unthinkable. So they're there and they're looking in, the windows are open, the door is open, they're hearing the laughter. And they're thinking, this is scandalous. I mean, any religious teacher, true religious teacher, would have nothing to do with this. There was a, there's a concept known as table fellowship. And so to share a meal with someone in the East, that communicates mutual acceptance. That communicates friendship. What is Jesus accused of before his death? He is accused, the audacity of this, of being the friend of sinners. And so the Pharisees, they're looking in at this and they're absolutely shocked. This is scandalous. I mean, if he was a true rabbi, a true teacher, he might teach them at a distance but there's no way he's going to share a meal with them. And if he was a true rabbi, he would be hanging out with us. 
not with them. And Jesus here is breaking every cultural, every religious barrier because Jesus Christ is radically inclusive. He says everyone is welcome. Verse 12, but when he heard it, he said to the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a a physician, but those who are sick. This is a proverb. And Jesus is basically saying, doctors go to sick people. If you're well, you don't need a physician. I have come to the sinners, to the tax collectors, to people who recognize their need. I have come to heal them. And the irony of this whole thing is that the sickest people in the story are the Pharisees. And yet they're spiritually blind and they don't see it. Verse 13 now. This is the apex of the whole story. This is where we have to land. Jesus says to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is actually a dig to the Pharisees. This little idiom, go and learn. Go and learn was used by a rabbi to his students, to his disciples. And so if they weren't understanding, he would either rebuke them with the phrase, go and learn, or exhort them, go back to your Bible and study what the Bible says, what this means. And now Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter six, verse six. So I have to, this is extra credit if you're getting fatigued here by all this teaching, but uh, hang in there with me because we have to understand this. In Hosea chapter 6, Hosea is a prophet and he is speaking to the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. And God is saying, I am going to bring judgment upon you because you have a wrong heart. You don't have a heart of love. And so in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, it's an invitation to come back. And it's as if Jesus is begging the Pharisees, come back, come, let us return to the Lord. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So he's imploring, come back. Can you see the message that Jesus is giving the Pharisees? Come back, return to God. Now he goes on and warns them, verse four and five. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. What's he saying there? Your love vanishes, shows up just for a little while. It's just like dew, and then it goes away. It's not steadfast. It's not a loyal love. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. He's saying, judgment is going to fall because your hearts have drifted, and you're not coming back to me. And with that as the backdrop, he now drops it. Verse 6, what Jesus now quotes to the Pharisees, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I'm not that interested in ritual sacrifice. I'm not that interested in your 613 rules. I'm not that interested in you upholding all these external traditions. Don't you get it? 
steadfast love. It's the word kesed. It's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It means steadfast, loyal, faithful, mercy, kindness, favor, loving kindness. It's hard for us to to translate because it embodies so much. It's the steadfast, loyal love that God has for you, that Jesus has for us and for all people. And so Jesus now picks this, this passage, and says, go back and learn. Learn that this is what's really important. It's the heart. And so back to Matthew 9, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire steadfast, loyal love and not all of your ritual and your sacrifice and all the external things that are so important to you. God is the God of this kind of love. And because he's the God of this kind of love, he does this. He says, everybody's welcome. Everyone's welcome. You belong here. And then Jesus adds this final statement to Matthew 9, verse 13. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me paraphrase. I came not to invite the self-righteous. I came not to invite those who are self-righteous and proud and don't see the need for God. I came to invite those who recognize their need for a Savior. That's who I came for. Jesus Christ, he changes everything. Don't you see it? He changes everyone in this story. He changes Matthew. He gives Matthew a new name. Matthew means gift of God. He gives Matthew a new allegiance. He's no longer a tax collector, but now he's an apostle. He's a follower of Jesus. He gives Matthew a new impact as Matthew now lives on mission with Jesus. He changes the disciples. He actually revolutionizes their understanding of community. He says, look, we're a brand new community. We're a brand new family. Anybody is welcome to be a part regardless of background or race or creed or mistakes they've made. Everybody is welcome. He changes the tax collectors and the sinners, right? They are the social outcasts. Then Jesus enters the scenes and now they are friends with Jesus. They're tight. They're buds with Jesus, And their whole identity, their whole sense of dignity is elevated by the inclusion with Jesus. And he changes us. When we come to know Jesus like this, we get changed. He gives us a new heart. This heart of steadfast, loyal love. He gives us a new mission. He calls us to throw Matthew parties and to reach our neighbors and our work associates and to reach the nations. Everybody in this story changes except except the Pharisees, as far as we can tell, because their heart was rebellious, stiff-necked, proud, spiritually blinded. Now, let me wrap by telling you why this story is so important. It is so important because some of us here are Matthew. Some of us have been raised in a religious tradition and it was all about rules, it was all about ritual and we missed it. We missed the person of Jesus. 
We missed the glory of who Jesus is. And so Matthew had this life-changing encounter, and Jesus says, follow me. And that's what he's saying to some of us here today. He's saying, forget about all of your religious background. Come and follow me. Now, most of us, most of us are like the disciples and the Pharisees who lack mercy. And the reason that we exclude people is because we have a heart problem. And so it's through the gospel of Jesus, it's through an intimate relationship with Jesus that we gain his heart and our arms become open wide and we say, come, you belong here. And all of us, all of us need to be like Jesus. We need to have the heart of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. I was talking about this this week with Jonathan Madrid Jonathan said this, look, Greg, don't you get it? When we have a heart like Jesus, we run to the mess instead of away from the mess. I thought that's so true. See, what is mercy? Mercy actually is rooted, it's rooted in compassion because of the pain and the suffering and the misery that people are in. And when we have a merciful heart, our heart aches. We're burdened for the pain that people are in. And that the heart of Jesus then moves us to get involved. We are to be a radically inclusive people. Now, when I say that, that does not mean that truth does not matter. Truth matters. Jesus went to where the sinners and tax collectors were, and he shared the truth with them. So we are people that are like this, full of grace and truth. And we call everybody to follow Jesus. And we welcome everybody to be a part of this family. The person who has hurt you, who has rejected you, who has betrayed you, they are welcome in your life. And they are welcome to be a part of this church. You might be struggling in your marriage. It might be breaking up. You might have gone through the pain of a divorce. I want you to know Jesus says you're welcome. And you are welcome here. You might be questioning your sexual orientation. You might be confused about your gender. I want you to know Jesus says come. Come to me. And we say, you are welcome here. You might be politically liberal. You might be politically conservative. You are welcome here. You might have a criminal record. You might have addictions. You might be unemployed. You might have mental illness. It doesn't matter. I've got an alert to tell you. Everybody's messed up. Everybody's messed up. We all need Jesus. And so we all come to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me and come be a part of this new community. And that's what we're saying. We are simply saying, you belong here. Now, I want to close this message by asking you two simple questions. The first question is this, how is your heart? 
How is your heart? Is your heart full of steadfast love, a heart of mercy towards those who are far from Jesus, who need Jesus? And the second thing, who is your Matthew? Who is the last person on the planet that you would want to do this to? That is the person today that Jesus is saying, go to them. That is the person that Jesus is saying, pray for them. Pray for your own heart. Ask the gospel to renew your heart, to fill you with love, forgiveness, mercy. And be a person that does like this. You belong here. Come, follow Jesus. You belong here. Father, I thank you that there's none like Jesus. He changes everything. And thank you that he's changed us. And I pray that we would be a people that are radically inclusive as we stand upon the gracious truth of your word and help us be a people like Matthew that live on mission because we have your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're not done yet, dear ones. I know. Some of you are racing out. Is there a football game or something? So, all right. So, uh, we've got seven more minutes, and we're going to do what could be the most important thing of the whole morning. I'm not kidding. And that is we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I am so thankful that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we tend to forget the things that are most important. And so Jesus institutes um, this for us so that we would regularly remember. And on the eve that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, lifted it to heaven. He took a cup, lifted it to heaven and said, this is my body broken. This is my blood shed. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And when we do it, we're mindful that God had mercy on us. It was because of the mercy of God and because of his great love that he sends Jesus to die on the cross for you and me so that we could be forgiven and he could then take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And we could then have a heart of mercy. That's what communion is all about. So I'm going to pray. The ushers are going to come and distribute the elements. We're not going to take together. You just take the element and then partake as you feel led. If you can say, Jesus is my Lord, then we invite you to participate and share in the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb who was slain, who bore our sin debt. We remember and celebrate the one who changes everything. Amen.